If you're a physician who wants more autonomy in how you practice or fulfillment in your life, you're in the right place. This is the Change Physician Podcast, where our guests reveal how you can learn the mindsets, skills, and strategies to create the life you want without selling out your morals or values. But before we begin, I want to remind you of the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you at thechangephysician.com. This is the Change Physician, episode 238. Welcome back to The Change Physician. I am Melissa Katie, the Challenge Doctor, with my co-host, Dr. Kevin Kakaro, in his amazing, creepy background. That's not creepy. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. That's not creepy at all. That's the Northern Lights, man. Okay. Well, I just saw Nope last night, so... <laughs> <laughs> did they have the nerve that did that with the northern lights and nope i didn't see no nope no it's just you know some weird sky alien maybe thing going on uh, but okay anyway okay. we're we're here to do a deep dive um on our most recent episode with um dr Corey fawcett who's a general surgeon and retired he has multiple books out and we focused on uh, one of those books you want to bring up what book that was sure this was uh the doctor's guide to starting your practice right and again this is dr Corey fawcett he has um transitioned into a new phase of his career for several years now uh, and we've had him on previously and what i really like this is kind of a general overview is what I like about Corey is he tends to think differently. He has a very positive outlook on things. So where there's typically doom and gloom, Corey will come back and say, well, you know, look about this. And we, so we did the timeshare book with him previously. And in timeshares are, oh, timeshares suck. And he's like, well, you're probably thinking about it wrong. So I really like that. And then for specifically about this one, the doctor's guide to starting your practice, right? This is not about private practice. This is about when you're starting your career as a physician, because every, you know, non-physicians may not realize this, but when you graduate from medical school and you're actually a physician, you're not really a physician because it's just like the start of your actual career where you go on residency. And then you start kind of learning how to practice medicine. And then the transition then from res residency is the beginning of really how do you practice in uh, as an independent person. So this book is um, kind of geared to that. Somebody who's leaving the residency or fellowship and then entering into that kind of environment where you're now um, pushed out of the nest, so to speak, and now I need to fly with your own wings. Yeah. I was I was looking through my my notes. I know both of us were <laughs> taking some notes, but um, you know I think there's uh, uh, that transition point you're talking about. It's super stressful um, in the sense of you've always had that little protection, you know, from the you know you were maybe the chief resident or something, but you still have that you can fall back on all these people um, and staff and faculty that could help guide you and ultimately are responsible as well on, you know, for the patient's well-being. So, um, you know, you go through all these years of just, you know, um, when you look at the hourly wage, if you break it down, it really is not too impressive. Um, you know, you always hear those things about, you know, teachers pay, you know, if you break it down or whatever, which they never get paid enough anyway, especially in our current system. But, um, you know, I think there's such a, a, a draw with this delayed gratification that sometimes we reach for the things that aren't really that important and we neglect our real true needs and what are, you know, what's important, our priorities. So I think there was a, a good emphasis on, you know, where do you want to be and why, or what do you have, what do you want around you? Or what are your favorite hobbies or as far as family, you know, what are their needs, even the spouse? I think some of those points were extremely relevant because 
the big high dollars are extremely enticing and um, it's real easy to get swooned into that and not recognizing maybe you don't have the full story of the environment you're going to be working in. Um, it's easy to just say yes um, to the highest bidder, so to speak. Um, so I thought it was really um, critical for, I think there's a, we've done a disservice to a lot of medical students and um, trainees uh, because I don't think personal development and understanding who you are and and why, you know, it takes time to recognize those things, but to kind of explore those things, to know what is important and why, that helps you make these decisions so that, as we said towards the end of the episode, you don't have to learn from your own mistakes, but, you know, perhaps you can put a little bit more effort into thinking about these things so that you make better choices. Um Unfortunately, as we said, sometimes we all just have to learn the hard way, um, either stubborn <laughs> or, or the power of your, your bias for a huge number to make, um, pay off your debts or whatever your reason is, um, maybe just outweigh the, the rational thinking about things. So any thoughts about that? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna wind us back a little bit to kind of some of the key points. <laughs> this is, we do this a lot, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> kind of key points of of the particular interview because there was there was like four major takeaways that I would say. The first one you kind of hit on is that transition point in the delayment of gratification right. and how easy it is to become um, to think only about the dollar point now, and that again is really easy because I was just thinking with my own career. And I had a, a Navy scholarship, but I I distinctly remember signing that dotted line and recognizing that I had just kind of made the next decision for the next 12 years of my life, which was almost 50% of the life I had lived at that point, which is really bizarre. When you're like 24 signing something and then you realize, okay, I've just made a decision for the next 12 years. Yeah. So, um, but but the, the key of that is we've had, you have this massive delayed gratification and you're heaping up this this debt. And there's this thinking of dollars, 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 dollars. And then what I, the focus in that interview on not focusing on the dollars first, but what's important to you. And then coming back to how Corey thinks about things, he framed it in a really nice way is everybody thinks about the dollars up front, but we rarely think about the cost of change that's associated with that. What is it going to cost you to change your job? And he'd calculate like what, $150,000. I think it's probably higher. Uh, when you when you kind of put on those 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 things in, so instead of you know, it's so important to think, well, what is important to you? Family, you know, proximity to family, proximity to hobbies is a huge one uh, because you already have a drain on your time, and so things that you do to make you happy, really figuring out the locations that works well for you. You know, if you are an urban person probably should focus on an urban environment. If you are somewhat rural or um, suburban person, probably focus on that as well. Um, that's not to say that you can't do it and then all of a sudden discover something magical, but the likelihood of that actually occurring is much less than the reverse being absolutely miserable. So I think that was a really, 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 really crucial takeaway. Um, I know from my personal experience when I was leaving the Navy, you know, that was the sort of, it, I went and practiced in the Navy, which is sort of nice because I didn't have to, they just told me where I was going to live. And then I could kind of practice, you know, learning how to be an independent doc without all this other stuff. But that was a big deal for, for us when we transitioned out. Like I was looking at location as a big one. Um, so 
that but it's going to go into the second point. I don't want to talk too long though. So I'm just going to kind of leave it there is, is those variables for, because I would be kind of curious on your end when you were transitioning out of fellowship, uh, what were you, what were your, were you thinking location proximity or were you thinking something else? So <clears throat> as much as Austin has changed a lot now, and um, it may be a different feeling if it all had happened around now, back in 2008, eight to 2009 was my pain fellowship. Um, I had recently gotten divorced during that time. So all I knew in my head, there's two things I knew. I didn't want to work full time and I wanted to live in Austin. So literally the day after my training was done, I moved all my stuff into a 600 square foot apartment in South Austin. And I found something because of my connections in San Antonio, which is for those of you out there, it's about an hour or so away. I knew that I could leverage a part-time position with a group that was desperate for help. So I could only work two or three days a week, essentially about three days a week. And so I found an apartment right off the highway that made my commute super quick and easy. <clears throat> so it was a straight shot. So yeah, it was definitively that. And I was also just finished pain and was debating because I, I didn't really like what the pain practices, how they're practicing. So I was still in this like quandary of like, do I want to even do this pain thing? Um, so I'm like, I need freedom. I don't want overcommitment. And I want, I want to be in Austin because I'd always loved Austin. So, um, yeah, that was, it was pretty straightforward, um, decision for me. There really wasn't anything else that made me decide. I didn't, I didn't. Oh. And the other thing was the aversion to the big groups and commitment in Austin. So I didn't want the two big groups either. Um, eventually found a smaller group that I, I got involved with, but uh, you know, the things you mentioned, I was thinking you talked about that 12 year commitment, whatnot. It'd be one thing if you're just doing an internship and you want to say, you're always been a city person and you want to trial out like, you know, a rural area, you're not sure. I think that's kind of a good opportunity if, if the internship's not critical, especially anesthesia, you could go anywhere and you could be like, I'm going to trial this out because I don't know in my career, like where I'd want to live. So if you can just do any internship, that's kind of a, a low commitment. Anyone can live anywhere for like a year. I, I'd even throw in re residency down that because some people yeah, will say, well, don't, you don't want to do, you, you don't, you have minimum time as a resident. So you need to be where you, you're super happy. I would say you have minimum no, time, time as a resident. You don't have any time. So, so if you're, you know, go and test something out. And if you actually enjoy those moments, like maybe you're a city person and now you're practicing someplace else or, or vice versa, that gives you a great opportunity to kind of learn. I mean, I grew up in a smaller town. So Carson city, Nevada, when I was growing up was, um, it was like 26,000, 30,000 people at the time. It's much bigger now, 60 plus thousand, but yeah, much bigger, 60 plus thousand. But, um, when I went to Chicago for medical school and then subsequently did my residency there, you know, you're going from 60 metro area when you're talking at Reno, maybe 250,000 at the time to something that was several million. That was a totally different experience for me. Oh, yeah. And it was a great experience and I really enjoyed it, but it also reinforced over time that I am not a big city person. I would rather go to a big city for vacation rather than live in a big city permanently. Um, but, it, you know, so that was a great experience. Now it was much better, I think, than, than having to say, 
oh, I'm going to join this practice in Chicago, even though I've never lived in a, in a major metropolitan area, and then discover three or four or five years in that, I don't know if I really, this is, something doesn't feel right here. So um, I think that's a great point is like thinking about internship and residency as a chance to try out these environments because they're temporary by default. They're, that's, a, that's a temporary time period. Right, right. Even if you think the training is made more stellar somewhere else, like usually you have a list multiple places you interview. So, you know, it'd be good to probably have uh, different options and, and consider those things location wise for the future. Um, one other thing you made me think of um, that comment was you're talking about that financial cost. And you think it's really more than that. Um, I don't know if you implied, but I definitely feel like people don't always uh, quantify the emotional cost of of that those decisions or or the um the misery you might be in you know like you can't put that into numbers real easily but i think that you know the emotional cost of change of feeling stuck of um realizing you didn't address your real true needs or your spouse's needs potentially a divorce i mean who knows there's the you know possibilities are endless but um i think it has especially if you have somebody else involved, you have to be very intentional about those things. Well, and I, I will still maintain, and um, this is definitely my belief, but there is a little bit of data on there, that the idea that money is the primary endpoint that determines job satisfaction is completely flawed. Yes. And if you, here's to all the, you know, the CFOs and the CEOs and the CEOs of these health systems. If you create an environment where you support your physicians and then they enjoy practicing there, your turnover is going to go down. But when you're dicks and you think like, you know, everybody's a widget and you're going to use your lean Sigma six to, to create these, these, you know, applying principles of, of economic design that is used for manufacturing widgets. And you're going to think you're going to stuff, you know, healthcare in it you're going to have to pay top dollar because nobody's going to want to lift you and they're going to turn and they're going to churn because at some point it doesn't become useful to you. But I'm, I'm, I just, I'm like shocked, create a place. Like I, I, I know people are like, Oh, I wanted to work part-time. And then the, the, the health system was just like awful to them. Like mm -hmm. rather than thinking you have a great doctor and they want to work part-time, why don't you facilitate that? And you are going to maintain them rather than lose them. Our local health system loses people all the time for stupid things like this. Mm -hmm. Like, like rather than some flexibility, they just, you know, whatever they, they treat people like widgets and then they're going to end up in high, high cost. But um, before I rant too much on that, I do want to talk the second part about transitioning, which Corey talked about outside of making those primary determinants of location, proximity, et cetera, and hobbies is the access to info we have. Because he said for his first job, he got a recruiter. And we mentioned in that, well, who's the recruiter working for? You're probably not paying the recruiter. So I guarantee you that recruiter is not working for you. Right. So instead of trying to find the ideal job for you, the recruiter is going to try to find the ideal job for them, which is has to do with reimbursement. The advantage that we have in this day and age over even 10, 20, 30 years ago is access to information. So when we were moving to San Diego, my wife is a civilian and I was military. I knew where I was going to be. But we ended up using a service, and after after doing that, I know we didn't have to do it. it was but the, what they did is they wrote a bunch of letters. There is nothing stopping you from identifying the geographic areas that you want to practice in, opening up a Google search 
finding all the offices, drafting a letter, and then sending it to them. That will take such a little piece of your time. And like what Corey was saying, he ended up finding his own job because he just contacted everybody on the I-5 corridor in, in Oregon because he had that, that area there. When I left the military, having had that experience with my wife, because we ended up paying this thing, they sent like, I don't know, 6,000 letters or something insane. Um, and what we could have done is just literally like done what I said is just identified these things and wrote a letter for ourselves. But that's what the, that paying that cost made me was, was I'm willing to have done it because I learned that you can actually pay or you actually do this kind of, I'm not quite cold calling. But when I left from the military, I did the same thing. I identified the areas that, that I was looking at going as a civilian. I literally found the CEOs, CFOs in the C-suites, and then I sent them letters to all of them. Mm -hmm. I got, there was only four or five places I had interviews at all. Well, I had interviews at three of them and I talked to the C, the CEOs literally called me back at two of them. And we kind of discussed some details on that. So th there's nothing stopping you. You don't need a recruiter to find a job. This is literally like, instead of cold calling, you can send them emails. You can cold call. It just takes a little bit of time and effort. But once you've done that kind of idea of figuring out the locations, we have so much information now that we can access to target individuals there um, that, that, and you're going to find the jobs that are not advertised. And as we discussed in the episode, those are the jobs that you want, because if somebody has to recruit and spend lots and lots of money to, to spend, you know, 50,000 plus dollars to get a recruiter, mm -hmm. they're probably not the jobs that are the really good ones. Yeah. So that was like, you know, when he was talking about cold calling, it's just like, oh yeah, I forgot. That's what we did. We sent these letters out. I emailed these guys. I was talking to the, you know, the CEOs are calling me and say, Hey, you sent me this letter. What was this about? But awesome way to do it. Awesome way to do it. Yeah. And those sign-on bonuses, um, I would be leery about them unless it's like a remote area that just most people don't want to live in versus like, okay, this is a big city with lots of people that could potentially take that job. So what is it about the environment why aren't they jumping on that job before they started offering all these sign-on bonuses? I mean, I've heard of stuff as like 50,000 to 100,000 for just a CRNA over three years or five years, depending on the situation for a big anesthesia group. Like, yeah. and I know the environment is not ideal. So. Yeah. Well, it makes, I guess that's it, is look at what the criteria for the sign-on bonus. So I, I will say, I thought I had done a lot of research when I transitioned into the, when I was going to the group that I, that I left the Navy to join, um, I had negotiated a, a signing bonus. Mm -hmm. I had triple checked the, 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 um, the contract. And then when I got here, they basically like deducted the signing bonus out of my salary. And I, I remember like, I hadn't even started yet. And it was, well, there was a ding dong physician recruiter who just ultimately, I found out later that just didn't know what she was doing and just lied all the time. Mm. I don't think she was aware of that. She was lying. She was just clueless. But, <laughs> um, but it, that was one of the situations I was like, this is, un, you know, this is not, this is you, this is not how it, even the contract says, I, I need to talk to the CEO and he's like, well, this, the one good thing about that CEO, he kind of recognized that that signing bonus and the, and sort of the swing of things was such a minor amount. He's like, but don't worry about it. We're just, we'll just do it. Uh, which was kind of smart. So, but make it, make sure you understand, is it actually a signing bonus or is it really a signing chain? You know, those are big advanced uh, salary <laughs> Yeah, or advanced salaries. Cause a lot of these things are, are said as bonus. They're not bonuses. 
you know, a bonus is, is, Hey, this is, you know, this is a, this is an extra that we're going to give you to come here. It's not, Hey, this is, we're going to just tie you down more with this thing that we're only going to, you know, we're going to advance it up front, but actually we're going to pay it out. We're going to deduct it out of your salary over the next three years. And if you leave it under time, we're going to have all these other fees associated with it. So be very, very careful about those bonus structures. And like you said, if it sounds way too good to be true, mm-hmm. it probably is too good to be true. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing you made me think of is, you know, you talk about making these cold calls or whatnot, or just finding where you want to go, but you're, throughout your training, you're going to encounter a whole bunch of faculty, um, maybe potentially checking out some other places, interviewing or or whatever, or maybe some extra training or something. Um, and just like being a good professional and, 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 you know, it's one thing to stand up for patient safety or whatnot, but, you know, you don't want to burn bridges. Um, and, and the faculty that you interact with likely has a, a web of people they know even throughout the country. Um, so tapping into that is, it can be extremely valuable. You're, I mean, you, you talk to anyone in the non-medical world that's done well or the wealthy and, and the resources, human capital, a lot of times. So knowing the right people and extending, uh, or finding information out through that or developing great relationships, um, if you are a skilled practitioner or provider or physician, then you have a better odd, you have better odds than someone who just is like cold calling and they don't know or have any connection through anybody. Yeah. We didn't really talk about that in the episode, but just no, but, but cold calling will beat doing nothing. Oh, that, absolutely. I mean, sort of thing. Um, and that's sort of like the whole, that's a whole other episode practically is, sure. is networking and and there's that old saying is, you know, your net worth is your network kind of a deal, which yeah. was a very late lesson in life, life to me. And it's still one that I don't play very well. Yeah. Well, I first, I have always had a challenge is like, okay, well, just having an acquaintance and trying to give people jobs rather than who's really qualified has always bugged me. Apparently that doesn't bug everybody. Cause it's some of the whole, I, I mean, there's some, there's some things I would just, I'm just like shocked occur. I'm like, Wow, that's that's insane. But outside of that, um, third piece that I wanted to bring up to, to emphasize because I wanted to j- like jump out of my chair here. Speaking of someone who did this twice, <laughs> don't buy a home for your first job. Like, don't do it. Like, I mean, again, these physician forms that we sort of gravitate and look around and and I just kind of ghost and look at them and. Every, I swear to God, every week there's somebody, I'm going to move out of fellowship or I'm moving out of residency and blah, blah, blah. And I want to buy this house and this, and you're not going to listen to them because everybody will stack. You can see all Don't buy a house. Don't buy a house. Don't buy a house. I was told the thing. Don't buy a house. You're going to want it. You're going to, oh, they don't know. I just know this is the best. I know I want it. And I'm just going to buy that house. Well, I'm just going to tell you up front. You're going to regret it. Um, 99% of the time. It was the worst financial mistake with the first one that we ever made. Luckily, the second one became okay because we we were, we're still in the same house in Corvallis. But oh my God, I just kind of, the amount of money, um, worse, without a doubt, the worst financial mistake of our life. And this, mine was even stupider because I was in the military and I knew I was only going to be there four years. But people, oh, you know, this was 2006, 2007. Oh, real estate only goes up, uh, only goes up, you blah, 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 blah. No, it doesn't. In fact, when you buy it at the peak of the market and it goes down, it hurts pretty bad. So, um, and then the, the flexibility, like you even mentioned in the, in the interview, is if your job sucks, 
which there is a good chance, like 50% of physicians switch in the first two years, being able to turn that key in and walk out the door is huge without mm -hmm. having that stress. Yeah. Um, so for those and those of you who you know, my argument was I had young kids, I had grown up in a single, you know, in a in a single house for my entire life. I had the stable, 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 stable thing. They're gonna be okay. You know, um if you find a nice rental, rent, mm -hmm. be fine. You're gonna be okay just by renting, and it's gonna give you a lot more better breathing room. So speaking yes. of somebody who didn't do that, I totally recommend renting anytime you move someplace new. And per certainly anytime you're starting a brand new job. Yeah. And I'll make a comment that my situation was unique because I'd been here since 1992. I knew the area, which was ideal because you kind of know the sections, the places. And then when things pop up and you see a great deal, it took me a year and a half after finishing all my training, even though I knew I wanted to be in the city. Um, I, I, I can say I probably was just halfway lucky that I just happened to find such a great deal and um, capitalized on it. And it's, you know, I'm still in the same house. So, um, you know, in hindsight, I've had other mistakes, but in this particular one, um, this one turned out fine, but I had, well, that, I would say that that's a little bit different though, because you identified the area, you knew you wanted mm -hmm. to stay there. You had already kind of planned. You, you, you lived in the 600 square foot apartment while you're, you're gathering money. It still took you a year and a half to kind of plot out, find the right deal before you, you purchased it. Mm -hmm. We literally flew to San Diego and in a weekend <laughs> identified the house that we wanted and bought it. And this was with the second real estate agent because the first one who I'd been uh, advised after my, my, who ended up being one of my good friends in the military, when I first contacted him said, I don't think that's a good idea. And I said, oh, well, I want to do it. And then he gave me the idea, sent me a real estate agent and the real estate agent said, I don't think this is a good idea. And I said, well, what's, who's he to tell me what's a good idea. <laughs> and we got the other one who obviously would want to sell, you know, whatever to anybody. Um, yeah, so I, I I think you 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 did it the the right way no matter what because you didn't like just jump on the scenario and just say I had to buy now like oh I'm graduating now I'm gonna start this other job in San Antonio but I'm gonna buy my house now you did it smart man super smart well, yeah my best two decisions around finishing training was getting my divorce and going into a little apartment <laughs> and then finding my house <laughs> yeah it all worked out fine. Um, Okay. So what, let's see, what are, what's your next thing you have on your list? My last thing that I had um, was the discussion of kind of, well, once you start your practice is monitor your vacation in the same way that like, and I, I'm assuming, I don't, I'm assuming everybody did this, but I know that everybody didn't do it because it happened. It kept happening year after year. When I started residency, and I said it in, this inter in the interview, someone said to me, make sure you schedule your vacation because if you wait until the end, you may not be able to get it because it depends on coverage. Mm -hmm. I took that like gospel. So literally my wife and I, because we were both residents, on the start of the academic year, for every year that we were residents, we plotted out our vacation for the next year. Mm -hmm. do, 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 do. Once you do that, it works as a resident because then you can put in your call schedule. It is the same thing when you're working as an attending and it is smart. You can always change your vacation later, meaning you can always decide not to take a vacation 
and do something in work or whatever, or switch with somebody. But it is incredibly difficult when you want to take a vacation and you don't have it already kind of blocked out. So important dates. Um, when we were in training, Christmas was a big deal to, to me. So I always made sure that we had that time off, made sure that everything was planned. So, I mean, do the same thing as a res as a attending. Like a lot of this transitions. And the other really nice thing, um, because once once we stopped doing that, like um, when the vacation, it became much easier to, it became almost easier to, to just flex however we wanted, particularly when I was working for myself. Uh, it was in many ways harder because I'm not a super spontaneous person. And um, so I am now much more cognizant of scheduling things in advance because I know that works for me and how we can budget our time. So we actually do the things that we want to do mm -hmm. rather than trying to play the super, super flexibility game. Um, I will print out, well, we'll just, you know, I'll print out a, a year like that and I will start marking stuff up. Mm -hmm. And again, at, uh, you know, if you're super, super spontaneous and you know, you're super spontaneous and the idea of scheduling anything gives you hives, then don't do it obviously. Mm -hmm. But for those of us who are kind of planners, planning these things out, um, it, it, it becomes like more flexible. I think that's the way to say it and more, and then you can, you know, have all the anticipation. So I, I would highly recommend, and particularly if you're new to a group is getting all your, you know, call schedule and everything early, 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 so that you don't run into problems later. Yeah. You made me think of two things. Um, if you think of a lot of the financial gurus out there, they talk about paying yourself first, you know, and, um, I see that as the same thing when it comes to like paying your self-care, taking care of yourself, paying yourself first and making sure you plot that out. If you're a planner, I will say as someone, if self-employed, depending on the circumstance, it would seem like you could, you plan whatever you want, whenever you want it, as long as you got coverage, if you've got, you know, can, you know, continuous care for patients or whatnot, or in my situation, I'm providing a service on certain days. And, you know, when I'm done, I'm done kind of thing. However, um, I'm kind of like what I call a, what are those little nurse sharks or little things that follow the shark to the shark. Like, yeah. Like the shark is like the surgeon. Everyone's like getting their piece of the pie because the shark's nearby, you know, like, um, so I always feel like I'm dependent on that shark. Um, and so I don't always, get a definitive, I get an idea in the next few months of when they'll be off. Mm -hmm. And so I try to maximize profit and revenue by not taking off time that they're, cause I have to pay for someone to cover those days. So I'd rather take the time off around the time they're gone. Um, so that's, it's hard to do a full year in advance in those circumstances. So, but technically I could, you just potentially lose that revenue and you got to make sure that you have coverage. So, um, you know, I think everyone's got a slightly different scenario, but the pri prioritizing time off, um, no matter how it, it's constructed or when it's constructed is, I think, uh, important because we're just trained to just be workaholics. Well, and, and that's the big difference between if, you, if you're in a private practice versus you're an employed group, if you're an employed group, optimize your vacation schedule at the get-go because mm -hmm. that time off is one of the benefits of being employee. Mm -hmm. um, and you've got all the, the negatives of being employee in there. So optimize your, your, your benefits of being one. 
then that is being able to schedule your time off. And it is up to them, whoever your employee is, to figure out everything else after that. Um, for somebody who's self-employed, obviously that's a that's a big difference. Yeah, I, I was lucky because when when I was self-employed, it was you know more kind of a consulting thing. I designed my own schedule. I didn't have to worry yeah. about like the surgeons or anything like that. So it was yeah. it, it was a little bit different. And uh, but even for private practices, it becomes a little bit more difficult. And I would say if you have a private practice and you have staff, because then if you want to leave, you still have to pay your staff. Mm-hmm. And then potentially organize your if you put your vacations in advance. Well, I can see how people would take advantage of that. <laughs> <laughs> um, you would probably want to fit your your vacation windows and very popular things to make it more likely that your staff are going to want to take vacations during those same times as well. Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely can get complex. You got to pay the overhead if you have a brick and mortar. Yeah. As a, as a business, if you have your own private practice, it actually, there may be situations where you're going to want to hide um, when you want to take vacation just so that the employee, you know, or you can look when the employees are taking vacation, then decide you were taking vacation at the same time versus right. vice versa. Cause I have heard stories where people will wait and they'll, Oh, they'll take their vacation. Um, which is their entire right when the practice owner is still working, but then they'll work while the practice owner is on vacation. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause they're kind of, they're sort of, and again, it's their right. Uh, but they're kind of gaming the system. So, um, yeah, you know, yeah. I hold your cards close to your chest, maybe as a, as the practice owner. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you could even offer, or if you're gone or you sh- maybe you pay like part-time, if you're not taken off that, that week, you can only work part-time from home or, you know, something like that. Well, and then you're running into labor laws. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know the labor laws. Yeah. I refuse. I, so to you practice. can still, it still comes down. You're still going to, you're still going to prioritize your time. You just don't have to advertise it versus if you're an employee, you're going to schedule your time and then you're going to publish it everywhere. So everybody knows that you're not there. <laughs> yeah. Those whole labor law things, like they send me these things, these things are supposed to put on the wall. I'm like, I refuse to have employees because I don't want to go there. I'm not planning on growing that big. I'm just going to 1099 people keep it very contracted and that's it. So, yeah. you know, if I make mistakes, I guess I'll find out the hard way, but um, anyone who's like, excellent at, at this employee law or contract versus employee law feel free to chime in or reach out to dr kevin at the change position so you have a few i, words I don't know that was that was that was um i'm kind of commitment averse and so that was my thing i'm like i don't i don't even want to learn that stuff other than the fact you know like 1099 the only thing you have to worry about 1099 is making sure that it's actually 1099 yeah because if you're dictating schedules then they can come in and say well that's actually not 1099 you're only trying to treat them like a 1099 yeah um but anyway, yeah. So it's 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 for commitment reverse people, man. I did I can't. I don't want to be responsible for anybody else. I just really don't want. I can barely take care of myself and my family. It's like I don't want to. You have to worry about that other stuff. Yeah. You can make more money, whatever. I don't. I don't want it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Ooh. long and short of it is schedule. Make sure you schedule your vacation. It's easier to change something that's already scheduled rather than just kind of uh, change whatever's happened to fit your to to fit something new and outside the ordinary. And so I I really appreciated um, at least that discussion that we had about just like really planning out your like he said specifically call schedule for a procedural basic specialty. Absolutely get your schedules done mm-hmm. uh, beforehand because you will. Uh, you know, if, if your calls suck, nobody's going to want to take it. Yeah. And, yeah, definitely. Well, um, I know there's a lot more in that book um, that he wrote and it can be found on Amazon and we can, uh, we'll put the link underneath this episode. 
um, along with the prior episode. If you didn't hear him talk, you probably should go listen to that besides just us talking. Um, but uh, any last comments, Kevin, or uh, you want to take us out? Sure. I'll just take us out. Nothing else to add there. But this is the Change Physician Podcast. This is Dr. Kevin Kukara with Dr. Melissa Katie. If you have any questions or concerns, you can email me directly at drkevin at thechangephysician.com. And until next time, stay well. Thank you for joining us today on the Change Physician Podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let us know by going to thechangephysician.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the free book giveaways, guides, and other physician resources available to you simply by joining the community at thechangephysician.com.